Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash, and this is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest, but first, let's say a thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. Based in Boquete, Panama, International Coffee Farms owns and operates 10 specialty coffee farms. These farms are subdivided into half-acre parcels, many of which are available to people interested in owning offshore real estate. These can be purchased for as little as $18,000. Your land will be managed on your behalf and will produce cash flow in perpetuity. I've got to know the principles of International Coffee Farms over the last several years, and they run a quality operation. Have a listen to episode 121 with CEO and founder, Mr. David Sewell, where we talk about investing in coffee farmland as a safe and diversified offshore investment. To find out more, visit internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back. We have a great guest today here on the Weekend Edition. We have none other than Richard C. Wilson, founder and CEO of the Family Office Club. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Victor. So, Richard, I'm guessing when you were in first grade and your, and your elementary school teacher was asking you what you wanted to be when you grow up, you didn't say, I want to start a family office club. Tell us your origin story. How did you get to here? Funny enough, in high school, I was voted in the yearbook as most likely to be successful using the internet uh, to start a business. So, I guess that was closer than when I was in grade school. But I started businesses growing up. You know, I'd started maybe five businesses by the time I was in middle school, high school, had a, a pretty good business in college that I uh, sold some students when I got done. And basically, I was doing risk consulting for publicly traded companies and was bored out of my mind. So I went into working for a capital placement firm in Boston. And while I was doing so, I realized that I was sometimes meeting with high-end wealth management firms that had a more holistic wealth management solution called family offices. And I had no idea what made them a family office versus a wealth management firm. So I tried to do that research and I learned that they're catering to the wealthiest people on the planet. So I said, well, uh, I'm just only going to spend my time meeting with them. Well, I found that very difficult to do and basically just selfishly to get better at meeting with them and adding value to them and getting their attention. I basically just taught myself everything I could find on the industry, which wasn't much back in 2006, 2007. And as I shared online what I was learning, and just kind of documented my journey as I went, things just kind of took off and the industry grew. And 11 years later, you know, we've hosted 100 conferences. We've got close to a 20-person team and we represent about two dozen families that are worth $100 million or more under contract to help them in running their family offices, et cetera. So it's been a, <laughs> there's a long story in between, uh, but I think we'll get to the important parts through your questions here in a sec. That's a fascinating story. Of course, the family office industry, per se, is relatively young, as I understand it. Is that right? I mean, uh, the formalization of it and the, the broad understanding of it is young. Um, arguably, you could you know, talk about people thousands of years ago that had some form of a family office or hundreds of years ago or the Rockefellers. But the reality is, up until 15, 20 years ago, nobody really talked about it. And really, uh, even now, most people who are ultra-wealthy or uh, above mass affluent still don't know what a family office is. So it's new in the sense that most people outside of the investment industry don't know what it is. And a good percentage that work in the investment industry still don't know what it is. And uh, that's changing, but slowly. If you're part of a high net worth family, why would you even want a family office? Well, the reason why they come about is that the wealthier you get, two things happen. The busier you get and more that everybody is wanting your time and 
the management of your assets and your operating businesses, real estate assets do take your time. So you're busier than everyone else on planet Earth. And every 1% mistake on paying 1% more taxes or you lost 1% in additional fees you could have not paid through better negotiation or structures, et cetera, every little mistake as a percentage is a lot more dollars of money that you just burned. So essentially, you're more likely to make mistakes because you're very, very busy and everyone wants your time and a lot of stuff is going on. And each mistake can be very costly in terms of real dollars, even if it's a small percentage mistake. And so because of that, more holistic planning, making sure all the trains are leaving the stations, playing good defense, negotiating on fees, making sure different advisors are talking to each other. You shouldn't be the one expected to remember what your CPA said and tell that to your insurance guy or your wealth management guy three months or eight months later when you meet with them. It's just not going to happen as you get busier. So it's really making sure that things are done more holistically to avoid those one, five, ten percent mistakes that really add up to enough money uh, to run part or all of a small single family office in itself. That makes so much sense. And I'm guessing family offices are not necessarily formed by the generation that generated the wealth, but by the generation that follows. Is that right? Well, a lot of first generation families do create their own family offices. Uh, I'd say probably 95% of our clients are first generation. Uh, the youngest ones are in their 40s, uh, the oldest ones in their 60s and 70s. And then many times the second generation might be starting to take over. They might be running one part of the portfolio or getting experience elsewhere and then coming back to the family. But usually the family office is created because somebody goes through a process of building a real estate platform or an operating business. And they take the company public, they sell it, or maybe they've just been producing a seven-figure cash flow profit for a long period of time. And they look around and they realize that the normal wealth management solutions out there don't fit their needs and that because they created their wealth through control, transparency, and adding strategic value, they want those components and whatever their wealth management solution is. And to them, to give all of their wealth to a private bank or a wealth management firm is very much against their DNA of how they've made value in the world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And if you think about it, many of the bankers that work for you know some of the major investment firms they're just employees. They, you know, they don't necessarily have the savvy to make the investment decisions for a high net worth family. So it's really about establishing a relationship of trust with someone that you can really bring into your inner circle. Right, right. That's correct. Yeah. And I think a lot of times families uh, might love their private banker or their wealth manager, or they might allocate some of their capital to a multifamily office and say, okay, you know, you do the due diligence on the 50 real estate fund managers or the 50 private equity guys and VC guys, you get me the broad market exposure and bonds and stocks and ETFs and indexes, et cetera. And then I created my wealth in you know, manufacturing and consumer products. And my son has a passion for buying cash flow in apartment buildings. So you know, we're going to have two percentages of our portfolio that we run in-house on things where we think we can add outsized value and really focus on making the fees lean and having transparency and control. And meanwhile, private banker, I do need help on all these other things like trust services, cash management, stocks, bonds, fund managers. So many times it's not about down with the private banks and down with the wealth management firms. Everyone should go out and have a single family office. Like There's no way to do it all in-house. It would just cost too much. Even at $5 billion in net worth, it just would cost too much. So it's just about what you keep in-house versus not and making sure things are as holistic as possible to reduce chaos and make sure the family is creating that new reality that they're really aiming for. What would you say the balance is between registered public offerings versus more specialty off-market investments, um, projects 
that are created out of thin air to create wealth? I would say that families usually are more comfortable with outsourcing some of the things that are traded and are publicly traded unless they created their wealth in that area. That's the part they do outsource and that their interest, like the percentage of their calendar that they spend themselves on investments and they get excited about deals, negotiating deals are the ones that are the off-market, uh, private, negotiated, direct to the asset or through a sponsor uh, type deal. That's where they spend a lot of their time because uh, there's the most inefficiency there and arguably opportunity. Obviously, there, there could be more risk because you don't have the guardrails of due diligence from 100 people in the back office of a, a Goldman Sachs doing due diligence on it for you, perhaps. But you know, I think that a lot of families spend their time on those inefficient kind of private deals because of the opportunity there. Let's talk a little bit about the Family Office Club. What was the genesis of the idea? How did you create this out of, again, out of an idea? Uh, well, it was 11 years ago, and I just started it to make the industry more efficient. So we help those who want to start a family office, have a single family office, or join a multifamily office, navigate those decisions. It shouldn't be hard and frustrating to learn the basics. So we wrote a book called How to Start a Family Office. We have a website dedicated to this topic at singlefamilyoffices.com. But then importantly, we also serve, on the other side of the fence, those who are trying to connect with family offices and improve their investor relations. And that's what the Charter Membership and the Family Office Club has, is a collection of tools. We review the investment marketing materials for our members every quarter, give them a two to three page analysis. We have 20 live events they can come to, which are investor summits where they network with investors and also get uh, trained on investor relations and capital raising at our intensive workshops, which is like a boot camp format. And we basically, um, between our free CRM and lots of other investor relations tools and resources, and 300 investor interviews, we'd be helpful to those raising capital too. And it's important that we do both because if we only help those that were starting family offices and we're ultra wealthy and we're worth 100 million plus, we wouldn't have excellent deal flow because no matter how much PR we did and press releases, we wouldn't be face-to-face building relationships with those that are raising capital for great deals and interesting deals. Uh, and if we only serve those that were raising capital, we wouldn't have the headaches in our inbox and I wouldn't get in text messages from these centimillionaires and what their headaches are. We wouldn't be able to help be helpful as much to those raising capital because we'd be out of touch with what those who are ultra wealthy want. And so by playing on both sides, we're able to maximize the deal flow we bring to the families through the 5,000 people a year that come to the family office club conferences, but we're also able to maximize our insights and our advice and our strategies for those on the investor relations capital raising side because almost nobody wears both hats and not as consistently across all the different touch points. So we have a lot of cross-pollination of ideas and the strategic ideas and insights are always building on each other as we go forward. It doesn't matter who you are at some point in time, you're always out of balance. You either have too much opportunity or you have too little cash, one or the other, and life is never, ever in balance. It doesn't matter who you are. When you invite deal sponsors, when you invite opportunities to come and uh, either network at these events or present at these events, how do you vet those individuals, make sure that you're introducing quality to high net worth families? Uh, Well, one part of it is pretty easy. Uh, We only allow family offices to speak at our events. I spoke at 150 events in 14 countries and realized most people running the event don't work in the industry. They're like a big event company and they're running a biotech event the next day and the fence industry the next month and they just see it as a niche. We only are laser focused on the family office space. We have at our events typically 30 speakers that are all investors, and they might have five to seven sponsors or speakers who have paid to speak who could be 
a real estate developer or a biotech group or a blockchain group. But importantly, when you come to one of our events, it is 80% investors on stage saying what they're allocating to right now, how they like to invest, how to get their intention, what types of emails get them to actually call somebody, what's their exact strike zone for deals right now and how they're structuring deals, what debt percentages they like to see on deals, et cetera. So basically, you just get like a fire hose of investor information at each investor summit. And then about 33% of the room for networking is made up of investors as well as, well as the event. So that's how we screen it. We have 800 global charter members who um, pay $2.99 a month. Basically, those charter members are who can come to the event, 20 events a year. And you can come to this one event, but it's you know $2,000 typically to come to one day. So most people just join the membership and it's month to month. So if you don't love it, then you just cancel. But most people uh, decide not to cancel and we've kind of do a risk reversal on that. People come and check it out and become a member. Yeah, and I'm a charter member and I'm looking forward to the upcoming event. You've got an event coming up later this month in September, correct? Right. Yeah, that's correct. The real estate event in New York City. Yep. September 21st is our real estate event. October 12th, Deal Flow Summit uh, in New York. And then we have our 1,000 person family office super summit, uh, December 10th and 11th down in Miami. And uh, on familyoffices.com on the homepage, we're always refreshing it, but we have 20 events mapped out for next year and everything through April. April, we already have venues and dates booked, you know, for those that like to plan ahead. But we essentially have found that um, it's not as valuable just to have a, a database or a list of investors. It's not as valuable just to have investor events. If you don't have CRM to track at all, or if you don't have qualitative feedback and advice and coaching on your materials, uh, that can be an anchor. So we're always just trying to add as many things as possible to be a, a catalyst for those that are trying to develop investor relationships because it's so challenging to do so. Oh, absolutely. What would you say are the top couple of mistakes that you see people make all, over and over again when interacting with high net worth families? It's funny uh, that you say that. We just uh, put out a newsletter in September. We just scheduled all of our September emails to go out. And one of them is on the top mistakes we see over and over again. So as a member, as you might already know, we do capital raising audits. So we look at everybody's investment marketing materials every quarter. We've done over 100 of those now, and it's a two to three page analytical report for the members. And we see some very common mistakes. So a few things are uh, clip art, 1990s uh, logos, a brand name that doesn't mean anything like Wilson Capital. No one reads Wilson Capital and says, oh, I knew that. You know, uh, and most people have two to three sentences describing their firm, and it's not one tight sentence or half of a sentence. It's a one-liner that really grabs your target investor. Many people don't know who their target investor really is. And worse than that, even if you do know, you better know your market and your niche better than your investor does, and then be different in a way they actually care about. Most people say, we're a private equity, commercial real estate boutique. We focus on multifamily. Well, there's 400 of you in the United States, at least, that I know about. So that really doesn't mean anything to an investor who's in the know on deal flow and sees a lot of deals. You really got to do the homework for the investor and say why you matter in the universe. Otherwise, you're just instantly lost in the noise. And we see that mistake. And what's so funny about it is that it doesn't cost anything to be very intentional, very explicit, very clear about your unique position in the universe to the investor set you're targeting. All it takes is you taking your firm serious enough to care about meditating that over a couple cups of coffee for a day or two and going over 30 versions of what your one-liner should be and then bouncing it off of investors, team members, et cetera, 
you don't need to spend $20,000 on graphic design or pitch tech or fancy website to get your one liner yet almost nobody has that. And that just kind of amazes me. So I think that's probably the, the number one thing is to know your positioning down cold and communicate it very concisely. I love that. And you know, in reality, that's no different than any other business. Wouldn't, doesn't matter whether you're talking that's about correct. Right. I mean, it's, it's fundamental business one-on-one. Yeah. So right. So right. Yeah. And I mean, I guess most people, the way I ended the email, or I guess I did a LinkedIn update today uh, on this topic as well. And I said, Rightfully so, most people who start investment firms are great at deal sourcing, working the deal, managing the risk, uh, et cetera. They almost never have a strong background in investor relations, marketing materials, marketing, positioning. They've usually never read a book or gone to an event or training workshop on any of those topics. They've usually never had that as their job description or job title. And rightfully so, every investor would rather have the investment expert not the investor relations expert as the person running a firm. But that comes with the territory of a lot of the stuff just being really backwards. And, you know, everyone needs to take a half step back or many people do and make sure things are put in the right, you know, sequence and order and description. Marketing is not about being salesy or being pushy or manipulative or anything like that. It's simply about providing enough information to generate interest. And if you can't do that, the rest is irrelevant. If you can't know who you're targeting, and then craft a very unique position that grabs their attention, then you might spend a lot of energy on other activities and not even get meetings, you know, so I can kind of go to waste to some degree. I love it. Well, so if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Uh, the best way would be to go to familyoffices.com. Our whole business model is to give away uh, a ton for free and people uh, can check us out and see our blog there, our free book there. And most importantly, we've got a whiteboard video. There's a two-minute animated video on exactly how our investor platform works. And that's at familyoffices.com forward slash association. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Richard. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks uh, in New York City. And for the listeners at home, definitely check out familyoffices.com. That's familyoffices with an S dot com. In the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 